African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso, in for Benjamin Mushadama, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Now on the program today, we're looking at U.S. President Barack Obama having bid farewell to the nation on Tuesday night, paving the way for President Donald Trump to take over on January the 20th. Now, We've seen uh, all sorts of comments around this uh, on social media and, of course, that very moving speech um, has uh, sent shockwaves around the globe. So we'd love to get your thoughts around that. Get in on the conversation. Remember, you can tweet us at Channel Africa One, text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. But for now, let's check in with the news desk with Onelin Zinzi. And we take a look at your headlines. The Nigerian army recovers corpses of 15 soldiers that were declared missing in action last October. A Libyan military chief visits a Russian aircraft carrier off the coast of the troubled North African country. And the supporters of President Robert Mugabe already planning his 93rd birthday party next month. With your latest news, a very good morning. I'm Onelin Sinsi. The Nigerian army has recovered the corpses of 15 soldiers that were declared missing in action last October. The lifeless bodies were recovered at the Kamadugu River line during a recent clearance operation. It is believed the soldiers were killed by Boko Haram. They have since been buried with full military honours. A Libyan military chief has visited a Russian aircraft carrier off the coast of the troubled North African country. The Russian Defense Ministry says Field Marshal Khalifa Hefta was given a tour of the ship and had a video call with Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shiogu, who to discuss security issues of fighting international terrorist groups in the Middle East. This is seen as the strongest sign yet of Russian supporters of Hefta, who is allied with an Eastern-based parliament that is at odds with a Western-backed government in the capital, Tripoli. In a world beset by crisis and disasters, women and girls are far more vulnerable than their male counterparts. According to the UN Women's Humanitarian Coordinator and Deputy Director Program, Danielle Seymour, women and girls are five times more likely to be out of school and far more likely to lose their jobs. Seymour says the United Nations Agency is working to empower women to be more resilient in responding to crisis. 
crises impact men and women, boys and girls differently. So I think people are familiar with the idea, for example, of vulnerability to sexual exploitation or trafficking and so on. But actually, as you look across all of the indicators, everything we measure, every way we try to figure out what the impact of a crisis has been on people, we see that women and girls come off worst. So they're two and a half times more likely to be out of school, uh, for example, or far more likely to have lost jobs or employment. Every way across, you see there's greater vulnerability. Malawi, which was hit by a crippling drought last year, has become the third Southern African nation to report an outbreak of armyworms. A year ago, Malawi successfully contained an armyworm invasion that affected seven districts across the country. Malawi's outbreak follows one in neighboring Zambia and Zimbabwe, where the military has been deployed to battle the bugs. The armyworms are caterpillars that march across the landscape in large groups, feasting on young maize plants, wiping out entire fields. And lastly, supporters of Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe are already planning his 93rd birthday party next month to be held in the rock-studded national park that British imperialist Cecil John Rhodes is buried in. Fundraisers under the banner of the 21st February movement organized the mega party to mark the aging president's birthday, changing the venue each year. Zimbabwe is in the grasp of worsening cash squeezes with the payment of civil servants salaries regularly delayed. There is no word yet on how much the festivities will cost, although last year the bill was said to be around one million US dollars. Now recapping on your top stories, the Nigerian army recovers corpses of 15 soldiers that were declared missing in action last October. A Libyan military chief visits a Russian aircraft carrier off the coast of the troubled North African country. And the supporters of President Robert Mugabe already planning his 93rd birthday next month. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelinsinsi. Change your game. Your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Welcome back to African Dialogue. It's seven minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. My name is Zikon Amiso in for Benjamin Mushadama. Now, after eight years of his presidency as the first African-American president of the United States, Barack Obama ended his leadership with an urgent and fearful warning about the state of American democracy. Now, in his final speech to the American people, Obama gave what may many feel was a thinly veiled slight to the divisive rhetoric of Donald Trump's election campaign, which included attacks on Muslims, the disabled, women and immigrants. Now brushing away his tears with a handkerchief, Obama paid tribute to sacrifices which were made by his wife and his daughters who were merely young girls when they entered the big uh, white home on Pennsylvania Avenue and leave now as young women. Now to chat to us about his leg- uh, about Obama's legacy, we're joined in studio by uh, Chelsea Markowitz. Thank you so much for joining us Chelsea and welcome. Thank you. Also on the line we've got Professor John Stromlau who is uh, from the WIT International Relations Faculty. Good day, Prof, and thank you for joining us as well. Good day, good day, thank you. Now, I'm going to pose this question uh, to both our guests today, um, and I think it's the million-dollar question. Do you, Chelsea, um, believe that uh, President Barack Obama leaves his office uh, with America being a better place to live in? I think overall and in certain ways, yes, um, especially if you look at social issues um, with the health care reform, um, legalization of gay marriage, um, Paris climate change as well. So on socially progressive issues, I definitely say, yes, it's a more inclusive place mm-hmm. to live in. Mm-hmm. And um, the economy, of course, has recovered, which I think is a great accomplishment. Um, globally, the world is obviously in a very tumultuous position right now, but I don't think necessarily that that can be attributed to Obama. So I think overall I'd say yes um, in terms of what he was able to do. Mm. Prof, your thoughts, uh, do you agree uh, with Chelsea in terms of the inclusivity that she speaks of and also um, she's also highlighted, you know, the recovery of the economy during um, Obama's time in office? Yes, I agree completely with what Chelsea said and I'd like to carry it a, a, a step further with an African focus because you are the channel for the African Renaissance. And I know that Obama is sometimes criticized for not giving enough attention Mm -hmm. to Africa. But in the first instance, the economic recovery, the saving of America and the industrialized world from a Great Depression, which would have had a profound and very bad effect in Africa, is one of the things he should be given credit for. He also takes an approach toward Africa, in my view, which is very supportive of the vision that Tabo and Becky had of an African renaissance where more and more Africans work among themselves to get a common position and a common view. And I think with Trump looming now, reminding ourselves of the importance of having a more effective line of cooperation among African states on things like climate change to protest uh, Trump's denialism. And by the way, Obama in his farewell address paid special attention to climate change, which is of great importance and interest to Africa. And he was working to get a kind of an agreement for a general fund to help compensate African countries for the disadvantages they're experiencing from the industrialized world. So there are ways in which I think you can work with Obama in his post-presidency, but also, above all, get the rekindling of that African Renaissance self-reliance for the continent, collective views on issues like climate change. That's my view.
Mm-hmm. Now, we've also got on the line uh, Tom Wheeler. He's a former South African ambassador to Washington um, in the U.S. Uh, good day, Tom, and thank you for joining us on the show. I'm just going to dive straight into it. Uh, we've been chatting uh, to Chelsea Markowitz here as well as Professor uh, John Strimlaw and um, uh, just asking them, you know, whether they believe that President Barack Obama leaves his office with America being a better place to live in. Um, but uh, Prof Strimlaw was also highlighting, you know, some of his, uh, 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 some of the work, you know, um, and the criticisms that he has gotten in terms of his relationship with the African continent. We'd love to get your thoughts around that. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, over to you. Sorry, I was not sure I could hear that last question. Uh, we just, uh, we're just reflecting on uh, President Barack Obama's time in office, uh, whether he leaves America as a better place, and also looking at his uh, relationship with the African continent um, in his time in office. Yes, I think uh, uh, he did both the, the domestic policy and the uh, uh, international side very well. In the case of Africa, he um, saw through the African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA, which makes it possible for South Africa, among others, to export uh, commodities to, uh, to the United States free of duty and I think in South Africa's case the most important one is the uh, export of uh, motor cars. So for instance uh, Mercedes, if you buy a Mercedes in the United States it's probably made in South Africa. It's made in South Africa uh, and so you've got, it, it, that's, that's the one thing. In the, on the domestic front, he's, uh, he'll be best remembered for what's called Obamacare. In other words, it's a form of medical insurance for people uh, who are not so rich who get a, a, a medical insurance that uh, they could otherwise not afford. Now, that is the voice there of Tom Wheeler. He's the former South African ambassador to Washington, joining us on the line today as we reflect on the legacy of Barack Obama as uh, president of the United States. At 13 minutes after 11 o'clock, we'd love to get your thoughts around that. Tweet us at Channel Africa 1, text us at plus 27-8233-5905, or email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. Mr. Wheeler just highlighted on what is known as Obamacare in the U.S. We're going to be chatting a little bit more about that and really what it is done for the people of America and what it is that uh, maybe uh, this continent can learn from that uh, particular um, uh, Obamacare um, um, specific um, uh, effort. It is 14 minutes after 11 o'clock. We're going to a short break. We'll be back after this. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47- one seven double one. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial six zero five four seven one seven double one. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Welcome back to African Dialogue. It's 14 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter, Facebook, and uh, you can text us at plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We're joined on the line by Professor John Strimlau as well as Tom Wheeler. And in studio, we've got uh, Chelsea Markowitz as we look back on the legacy of uh, Barack Obama. Now, Chelsea see, uh, uh, Mr. Wheeler was mentioning uh, Obamacare just before we went um, to that break. Now, it is the one thing that the Obama administration, um, uh, you know, got the tick for from many people, um, uh, you know, but uh, now Republicans want to sort of repeal it, uh, saying that it will create a big economic boon. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think it would be quite a shame. This is something that our country has been trying to pass for 60 years, trying to mm-hmm. get some sort of national health care. Mm-hmm. And it does have its flaws, but I think what uh, has been re- proposed is repealing it without a replacement at mm-hmm. this point. And I think that would be a big issue because then this would leave a lot of people who have gained coverage without health care. Mm-hmm. So I think that, of course, um, amending it is fine, but if, if we're going to repeal it, there really needs to be a replacement. And I think that if the Republicans do push this forward, it's going to be a, a big um, dent for them. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to look good if there's no replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Professor Strimlau, your thoughts are on that? Well, I agree with Chelsea again, and I think that um, there are much better lessons from other countries that have uh, uh, put single-payer providers together under regulations, which make sure that uh, everyone gets health care coverage. Those with uh, uh, chronic diseases are not thrown out on the street, and and that the healthy people tend to subsidize the the, the well-being people. Now, in a country with as much poverty as South Africa and a, a few very rich people, um, you do have this hybrid system, which, like America, can be very uh, difficult to be fair with. Uh, a country like Canada, which is fairly diverse but very rich, has a much more affordable and integrated healthcare system. I think South Africa and Africans generally, and maybe there'll be some sharing of costs within uh, you know, regional economic communities going forward on some of the more expensive capital costs for medical equipment and the like. But um, we just talked to a Zimbabwean uh, a woman who had her hips replaced in China under uh, mm-hmm. South African health care because it was more cost-effective. There's a lot of creative things that can be done, and America is not a good example. America mm-hmm. is very, very expensive even though Obama tried his best to reform the system, but it's not a good example. Mm. Mr. Wheeler, do you agree uh, with Prof. Stremler around his thoughts that it's not really the best example, you know, for um, uh, the African continent, uh, what uh, the U.S. has done with this um, whole Obamacare effort? I suppose uh, uh, Africa's situation is somewhat different to the United States because there isn't a degree of wealth, therefore there isn't the same amount of tax being paid uh, to, um, uh, to fund a, uh, a state medical scheme. So uh, Africans have to use whatever facilities the state can provide itself. Uh, the wealthy people go for private hospitals and private uh, uh, treatment, whereas the, the less wealthy have to rely on whatever the state can provide for them.
Mm. Now let's reflect a little bit on the uh, corrosive recent political campaign. Now Obama said uh, America's great potential, Chelsea, will be uh, re- realized if only uh, our democracy works, um, end quote. Now what did you think he meant by that? I think he was mainly speaking to civic participation. Mm. So if we look at this recent election, um, there was a lot of displeasure with both of the candidates and the turn- turnout rates were quite low. Mm. So I think he's just talking about getting out and voting because this is what underpins democracy. And he mentioned it in his farewell speech as well, that it's not only through voting. If you're displeased with something, also get involved on the ground with politics. He said that we shouldn't become disinterested or demotivated and because this is the foundation of democracy. Now, Prof. Stramlai, um, one of the main things uh, that people have highlighted about the Obama administration is that there were no um, uh, sort of uh, terrorist attacks on American soil during his time. Uh, what contributed in part to this, in your view? Prof? I, I, think, I think Obama has been very pragmatic in trying to get disengaged from the terrible and pointless war that uh, George W. Bush put the country in in Iraq, and then the ongoing struggle in Afghanistan is another preoccupation of Obama's. But he also has tried to keep an eye open on the kind of insurgents that are afflicting Africa, El-Shabaab and, and uh, Boko Haram, to cite only two, when you have states that are weak and unable to cope with um, some of these terrorist threats like Nigeria, which you know has had real, real difficulties um, uh, coming to terms with, with what could be a threat to the rest of the world. Uh, there has been criticism of Obama for uh, deploying the U.S. military, but these have been in cooperative agreements with local countries in Africa. It's a very contentious but important subject. And I think one of his legacies has been that he's at least been willing to try to work with African countries to increase security that could affect terrorism. And perhaps that contributed. There were not only no attacks against the U.S., but there were no major bombings of, uh, of U.S. embassies as there had been in Tanzania and Kenya in 96. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, Mr. Wheeler, your thoughts around that? Are they on? We're talking about... Uh, we'd, yeah, um, Mr. Uh, Prof. Strimla was just uh, um, speaking on how um, uh, uh, the Obama administration managed um, uh, to uh, not have a, 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 mer- a sort of a terrorist attacks on American soil during their time. And uh, Prof. was just uh, highlighting some of the ways that maybe um, contributed to that not happening. Um, uh, Mr. Wheeler, your thoughts around that? So I think uh, the 9-11 incident was very important uh, showing, you know, that the United States was vulnerable. And uh, the result has been that the United States has tended to uh, to prevent anything like that happening again, particularly by its involvement in Afghanistan, by uh, supporting the, the uh, legitimate government there. There's also the question of, perhaps not so directly related, the agreement that was reached with Iran on uh, the control of their nuclear program to make sure that they didn't become a nuclear weapon state, and certainly not as much the United States, but a country like Israel.
Well, that is it. Tom Wheeler joining us on the line. He's a former South African ambassador to Washington. We've got in studio Chelsea Makowis, a researcher with the Institute of International Relations. And also on the line, we've got Professor John Strimlaw, who's uh, from the Wits International Relations Faculty. We're all discussing uh, President Barack Obama's legacy and uh, just some of the ways that he's impacted um, the American people at this time. It's 22 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. We're just going to go to a short clip. um, of one of the many quotes that uh, President Barack Obama leaves us with now that um, his time has ended in office. We're going to go to one of those clips just now. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse a great recession, reboot our auto industry, and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history, if I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11. If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, If I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. But that's what we did. That's what you did. You were the change. You answered people's hopes. And because of you, by almost every measure, America is a better, stronger place than it was when we started. Oh, that's a clip there of uh, U.S. President Barack Obama, outgoing U.S. President uh, Barack Obama at this time. Now, he's talking about a better um, America for everyone, Chelsea. And uh, one of the main things uh, that... um, uh, uh, the U.S. has been on the news for um, of late is um, the issue of racism and uh, bigotry. We've seen campaigns like uh, Black Lives Matter campaign, uh, which have gone completely viral um, uh, on the social networks and just, uh, you know, globally, the whole world just watching America with regards to um, the racism in the country. Do you believe that um, America is generally winning this fight against racism and, and bigotry per se? And I'm going to ask um, uh, Prof. Jumla to also just add a few so if you can um, uh, hold that thought there. I'm going to ask Chelsea to give me uh, her answer first. Chelsea? Well, I think in terms of Obama's efforts, it's definitely been good. He has looked at law reform in terms of um, releasing some people for um, sentences for drug-related nonviolent crimes, mm-hmm. um, crack versus cocaine sentences. So these all target issues of race and unfairness mm-hmm. in the criminal justice system. So I think this has been good. Uh, in terms of the overall way that the country is going, I, I think it's quite tumultuous, and I don't think it's necessarily because of Obama. If we look at globally mm-hmm. the issue of populism and the divisiveness and the racism against immigrants, mm-hmm. All of these things um, are happening everywhere. So I think this is definitely worrying and it's on the rise. Um, But I think overall, in terms of race issues, Obama has made a good effort. He perhaps could have done more, especially on the community organizing level. But I think um, overall, he's been quite good. Mm -hmm. Prof, your thoughts around that? Yes. What Obama did not say in that clip you played 
was that these achievements were made against the absolute bigoted, persistent opposition of the Republican Party in Congress that from the day one when the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader Mitch McConnell said, our only job is to deny him a second term, from the disrespect that he was accorded by Congress people during his State of the Union speeches in Congress, which they would never show to a white American president, in my view. And then, of course, you had Donald Trump rising to fame in America on the birther movement, which was basically saying that the president ought to be profiled like an African-American that doesn't have credentials that can't be trusted. It was racist to the core. So that consequently, what Obama has achieved, he's achieved in the face of that solid Republican alliance with the ex-segregationists in the American South, and then the Republican establishment that winks and nods and goes ahead and hopes to get tax breaks for big business. I hate to sound so partisan, but that, I'm afraid, is what exactly is going on here. And Obama, to his ever uh, uh, credit of being decent and, and, and open, celebrates the positive and doesn't dwell on the negative. But since you asked me, mm. I think, to be fair, we ought to tell that side of the story. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wheeler, do you agree that um, the negatives in this regard when it comes to this racism issue far outweigh um, the positives um, in the U.S. at this time? Mr. Wheeler? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, the the very fact that he has addressed this in his final speech uh, is is very important, that he had, uh, he takes account of the reality, after all, he is, uh, he falls on both sides of the line, he had a white mother and a black father, and uh, so he, uh, he can speak some sort of authority on both sides and I think it's very important what has happened in the United States over the years since you know way back and uh, that he has emphasized the importance of the changes that have taken place. Thank you, Mr. Wheeler. That is uh, Tom Wheeler, former South African ambassador to Washington. Join in on the conversation. We'd love to get your thoughts. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us to info at channelafrica.co.za. My name is Zakon Amuso. I'm standing in for Benjamin Mushadama here on African Dialogue. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via all those uh, various channels that I've already given to you. Now we're talking about uh, US President, outgoing US President Barack Obama and just the impact that he's had on the American people. We're going to go to another one of his uh, clips now and just take a listen and have discussion thereafter. Because of the extraordinary courage of our men and women in uniform, because of our intelligence officers and law enforcement and diplomats who support our troops. No foreign terrorist organization has successfully planned and executed an attack on our homeland these past eight years. And although Boston and Orlando and San Bernardino and Fort Hood remind us of how dangerous radicalization can be, Our law enforcement agencies are more effective and vigilant than ever. We have taken out tens of thousands of terrorists, including bin Laden. 
The global coalition we're leading against ISIL has taken out their leaders and taken away about half their territory. ISIL will be destroyed, and no one who threatens America will ever be safe. And to all who serve or have served, it has been the honor of my lifetime to be your Commander-in-Chief. And we all owe you a, a deep debt of gratitude. That's outgoing U.S. President Barack Obama there in that clip. And now, Professor Stromlau, the Obama administration uh, was almost put to the litmus test, you know, by the ongoing Syrian war. And uh, one wonders if this war will finally end during the term of the new administration under Donald Trump. What are your thoughts around that, Prof? I, I, I have no idea about what Donald Trump is going to do, and I'm scared that he's so reactive and emotional that he could set off an accidental escalation. That's one concern, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that Barack Obama came to office as a young one-term senator with no military background, and it was very important for him to establish credibility with the U.S. military, which he did to his credit during the course of the last eight years. And don't forget also on a more positive note, that he was re-elected president in 2012, so that he does represent, in my view, the better future of America, but it will be America that any president who wants to keep the support of the voters has to show that he's tough on terrorism. There's just no alternative, and I think Obama, who is a lawyer and has tried to stay within the rules of the laws with regard to torture and other kinds of things, and and get rid of Gitmo, uh, Guantanamo uh, naval base and other injustices. He hasn't been completely successful, but he has been effective in balancing these, these competing needs so he can continue to govern. And his role with the military and his relationship that Michelle Obama showed toward the military, which was also very positive from a public standpoint, uh, is part, very much part to his credit, which we don't give attention to. So I'm glad you raised the mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, uh, do you agree with uh, the prof? You know, um, he's uh, described um, uh, uh, incoming uh, President uh, Donald Trump as uh, reactive and emotional in his view. Um, now, when we speak about um, this uh, ongoing uh, Syrian war and uh, whether it will finally end during this term, um, you know, those traits of being reactive and emotional, how can they contribute to, um, you know, um, improving or making the situation worse? Well, I would also agree that it's really an open box, and I have no idea. I would hope that he would um, be willing to take advice from those around him, but also then with um, the Secretary of State and um, possible ties to Russia, there's uncertainty there as well because the people he's appointed aren't necessarily um, foreign policy experts. So I think there is a lot of uncertainty. But what I would, if I had to make a guess, Mm. um, so Obama has actually been less interventionist, I'd say, um, overall and in the Middle East, um, mainly supporting, um, for example, supporting other countries which are fighting against ISIS. And Mm -hmm. I think Trump might actually be more similar to Obama in that regard Mm -hmm. um, than one might expect on foreign policy because he is quite isolationist and he's really um, pitched Mm -hmm. this in his campaign. So um, I think we'll have to see. I mean, the huge difference, obviously, is um, what he's been saying about Russia Mm -hmm. um, and where Russia is in that conflict. So that could be something very different from Obama. But I think overall... um, I, I, I think we would see him as being less interventionist, but I really don't know, to be honest, as mm. no one does. He yeah, is reactive, point. emotional, as we mm. said. Mm. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, do you agree um, that um, incoming President Trump is indeed reactive and emotional? And uh, what are your thoughts around uh, what may be his uh, foreign policy as he gets into office? Tom Wheeler? 
I um, uh, not. I don't think anybody quite knows what uh, what uh, Donald Trump will do because he said various things uh, during his campaign which are actually contradictory. So one one's not sure what to expect. Uh, you know, he's. Uh, I think w once he's in office, he has a different responsibility to when he's out campaigning. He can make all kinds of outrageous statements. Uh, the, uh, the the most famous one, of course, is building the, the wall between Mexico and uh, and the United States to keep migrants out and expecting the Mexicans to pay for it. Now, I, I, I would be, be very much surprised if he tries to hold uh, the Mexicans to this particular promise. I mean, it, the damage relations with Mexico, which are far more important uh, uh, in things like the, uh, uh, the the North American Free Trade Agreement, which uh, Mexico, United States, and Canada belong to, than uh, keeping a number of migrants out, which you can control by administrative measures. Well, thank you uh, for those thoughts, uh, Mr. Wheeler. It is 25 minutes before 12 o'clock Central African time. You tuned into African Dialogue. My name is Zikona Miso. With you until the top of the hour, tweet us at Channel Africa One or simply text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. We're going to a break. We'll be back after this. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back to African Dialogue. It's 36 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. We're reflecting on the time of the outgoing president, U.S. Barack Obama, in office. We're going to go to another one of his clips now. Uh, we will chat after this. We uphold laws against discrimination in hiring and in housing and in education and in the criminal justice system. That is what our Constitution and our highest ideals require. But laws alone won't be enough. Hearts must change. They won't change overnight. Social attitudes oftentimes take generations to change. But if our democracy is to work the way it should in this increasingly diverse nation, then each one of us need to try to heed the advice of a great character in American fiction, Atticus Finch who said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Uh, Mr. Obama invoked the first American president as he talked to the need for good. That was uh, another clip of the of outgoing president, U.S. President uh, uh, Barack Obama. Now, um, uh, earlier, Chelsea, you, you had highlight, I think it was Prof uh, who had highlighted, you know, just some of the things that he's done, you know, for the American people. And we're talking about the rights of the LGB LGBTI community um, uh, in America at this time. Now, we know that this is an issue that the African continent is definitely grappling with um, at this time. Uh, we've seen a lot of 
of uh, violent attacks on uh, homosexuals um, across this part of the world. Um, what is it that um, we can learn, you know, uh, from this part of the continent, from what um, uh, Barack Obama has been able to do with the LGBTI community? Well, um, I think the the biggest thing, I guess, passing the legislation is a huge achievement in the U.S., but I think, uh, as we've said on other issues, that the context in Africa is different and different countries are at different levels in pushing this forward. And if we even look at the U.S., um, there's still a lot of resistance towards this. I don't think it'll be repealed, but it's it's definitely not something that's unanimous. So I don't want to give a depressing outlook, but I think that um, these things come mm. as they come. So I think mm. it's definitely a big achievement for the U.S. and of mm. course South Africa has also mm. achieved this as well and I think that um, I know there are a couple of other countries that are moving in that direction mm-hmm. and it's something that gradually mm. um, occurs. That's my mm. opinion. Prof. Stromlau, your thoughts around that? Well, democracies should be inclusive of everyone. We know that and what um, I think is important to keep in mind with regard to the United States that uh, Barack Obama, as a constitutional lawyer, knows is that there are democratic deficits built into the founding constitutional arrangement, which favors the smaller states over the more populous ones, and hence you get Hillary Clinton winning by three million votes. Now, what Africans are debating within the context of the African Union is democracy for everyone on the continent. It's in the Constitutive Act. But in fact, you've got to watch very carefully to see what kind of bargains are struck with regard to democracy inside African countries, whether or not they protect all of the citizens, whether they're gay or straight or black or white or Christian or Muslim or whatever. And that's going to be the real challenge for Africa going forward. And I think maybe uh, to have Obama's counsel in the years ahead, because he has had to struggle with this in the U.S., would be a very positive thing. Now, that is uh, the voice there of uh, Professor John Strimler. If you've just joined us, you are tuned into African Dialogue. And, um, of course, you can get podcasts of this particular broadcast if you have just tuned in and you've missed out on the chunk of our conversation. You can get that uh, podcast at www.channelafrica.co.za. We are joined on the line by Prof. John Strimler as well as Tom Wheeler, who's a former South African ambassador to Washington, as we look back on the uh, legacy of uh, outgoing U.S. President. President Barack Obama. I'm going to go to another one of his clips now as we wrap up our discussion. Michelle LaVon Robinson, girl of the South Side. For the, fa- for the past 25 years, you have not only been my wife and mother of my children, you have been my best friend. You took on a role you didn't ask for, and you made it your own, with grace and with grit and with style and good humor. You made the White House a place that belongs to everybody. 
And the new generation sets its sights higher because it has you as a role model. So you have made me proud, and you have made the country proud. Now, it's no secret that um, at the heart of uh, Obama's administration was definitely its family, you know, um, uh, loved all over, um, uh, the social networks gone crazy over them, specifically um, the First Lady, uh, Michelle Obama. Um, now, Prof, looking at um, the incoming uh, First Lady, do you believe she's got big shoes to fill? She does, of course, but but you have uh, you know Barack Obama. It's very good you end on this quote on this on this clip because above all, a president should set a standard for family values that are inspiring to the rest of us who may be tempted or may be angry at our family members and the loving relationship between Barack and Michelle, which is so obvious, and the success in raising those two wonderful daughters in the public eye really sets a high standard that Donald Trump can't begin. Donald Trump, who gets on, caught on, on, on video talking about groping and abusing women, for God's sakes, is a serial uh, marriage and, and philanderer who has violated every marital agreement he's ever entered into so far, uh, is, is, is the exact opposite of what uh, the Obamas uh, did for the nation in setting a good example. So I'm so glad you ended on that clip. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, your thoughts around that? Um, uh, pressure for the incoming uh, family in terms of just the, 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 the standard, you know, that has been left behind by the Obama family. They have really been without scandal. I, I definitely <laughs> agree. He set a wonderful example. He's really had what seems like a great head on his shoulders in terms of being a husband, being a father to his children, and, and yeah, the way his family has come up. I think it's a really great example for America. And in terms of Melania, I do definitely think it does put some pressure. Um, I, I feel like this is my personal opinion that she she didn't really ask for this mm-hmm. position. Much more, much Michelle has been you know on this route yeah. um, with Obama, and it, yeah, I think with Melania, I, I almost feel sympathy in that regard. And what I have heard speculated is that Mm -hmm. um, due to the possible um, developmental issues with her son, um, that she might take on special needs, or this could be a possible issue for her to rally around. So, I mean, I would hope that 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 she could um, take on essentially a good issue that she can make as her issue as the first lady, and this mm. is really what could help um, define a mm. good um, term for her as well. Mm. Mm. Mr. Wheeler, your thoughts around that? Uh, the the incoming um, uh, family there um, uh, in the U in, in the White House, you know, and just the example that uh, the Obama family has left behind, which they have to just carry through at this time, Mr. Wheeler. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, the Obama family have set a very high standard, and uh, I don't think Donald Trump, uh, as one of your, uh, the other speakers have said, uh, can match that. He's, I think, been divorced and remarried several times, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just not, he's just not in the same level at all. Well, we'll definitely be very interested to see how things for unfold there in the U.S. And uh, the whole world, of course, will be looking on to see what uh, the incoming president, Donald Trump, will be bringing to the fore. But uh, for now, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Wheeler, as well as Prof. Stramla. We really appreciate your time here on African Dialogue and just you sharing your sentiments around uh, um, the legacy of uh, U.S. President Barack Obama. Chelsea, thank you for coming into studio. It was thank an absolute you. pleasure having you here. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again as things unfold um, in the U.S. at this time. Thank you for joining us.
Well, that's how we wrap up our discussion for now here on African Dialogue. Remember that you can get in on the conversation. Tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Text us at plus 27823325905 or email us to info at channelafrica.co.today. If you've missed the chunk of the conversation, do not despair. You can definitely get the podcast at www.channelafrica.co.today. For now, we're going to check in with uh, our economic update with Amanda Machaga. Thank you, Skona. Good morning. Zimbabwean manufacturers want a speedy resolution to the payment backlogs and the costing structure of the business environment that has crippled companies and businesses. A U.S. dollar crunch has worsened the liquidity situation in Zimbabwe, and companies are facing procurement and supply problems as a result of this. The industry is engaging government to come up with solutions that will improve the country's liquidity situation and eliminate the external payments gridlocks. DRC's Mines Ministry says it wouldn't oppose a transfer of ownership in the country's biggest copper and cobalt producer, marking a departure from previous actions to block or tax changes in shareholding structures. Glencore is considering increasing its 69% stake in Mutanda mining project. The rest is owned by Israeli billionaire Dan Gelt. Getla's Florette Group. Glencoe and Getla began investing in mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo almost a decade ago and now jointly own 100% of Mutanda, despite a provision in Congo's mining code that usually awards the government a 5% non-contributing stake. The companies have invested 1.8 billion US dollars in the mine. South Africa, the continent's largest producer of maize, could return to being a net exporter of maize in the next marketing year if the current rains continue in the next few months. According to an agricultural economist at Agricultural Business Chamber, data shows there had been activity in the market, Agri-SA Chief Economist Hamlet Lomayendling. The drought has actually brought some very, very devastating effect on the sector, especially on the maize belt. We saw ourselves for the first time being the net importer of maize, which is something that country is very, very unfamiliar with. But the good prospects of rain that has come since October last year and up until now are on the phase of kind of like changing that. We've seen that, like you mentioned earlier, that in the free state area, for instance, and in some areas that are producing maize in South Africa, because of good rains that have fallen, production of maize and other grains has actually taken place already now, and some crops have started showing off the ground already. Nigeria Union of Petroleum and Natural Gas Workers have suspended a nationwide strike over job losses that hit petrol stations and oil tankers following talks with government. Labor unions have criticized oil companies for sacking workers in the last few months. Nigeria has been hit hard by slumping crude oil prices in the past two years. This pushed the country into a recession.
and Kenya has raised a billion US dollars through syndicated loans as East Africa's biggest economy seeks to plug a widening budget deficit. The Treasurer says PTA Bank, an East African trade finance lender based in Burundi, has already disbursed $100 million, while a further $150 million will be received shortly. Kenya's government outlined plans in last year's budget to raise $1.5 billion from external sources in the fiscal year through June. In our financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.75 to the South African rent, at 10.59 Botswana Pula, and at 10.9 Zambian Kwacha. It's at 0.82 to the British pound, and at 0.94 against the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,187, and platinum at $978 an ounce. And the price of print crude oil is at $54.41 a barrel. And that's how it's looking at this hour. Time now for our sports update with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we're betting off with cricket news. Cricket South Africa has sent a special message of congratulations to Hashim Amla, who is playing in his 100th test match for South Africa at the Wanderers in Johannesburg. Past and present teammates and opponents have been singing Amla's praises as not only one of the best players of his generation, but also for his calm and hard work on and off the field. South Africa won the toss and elected to bet first in the match. Fast bowlers Wayne Parnell and Dwayne Olifir, a debutant, come into the side in the place of Kylie Abbott and spinner Keshav Maharaj. Proteas are on 67 for the loss of two wickets. In football news, former Bafana Bafana International Sean Bartlett says it is difficult to predict who will win the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations, which kicks off in Gabon on Saturday. Bartlett won AFCON with the national team in 1996 when it was hosted in South Africa and also featured at the 1998 World Cup where he scored two goals. The University of Pretoria coach Bartlett believes that Ivory Coast, who are the defending AFCON champions, will be the favourites to win it again alongside other West African giants. You know, the last few ones have been a uh, bit of a surprise. Um, obviously, uh, Ivory Coast has always got a good team. Um, you, you can never discount uh, the so-called smaller teams anymore uh, because everybody goes there to win. And for us, uh, I think, obviously, disappointment is Bafana not being in there and we still have the break. So now we've just got to make do with the break and, and watch the football on TV and see, uh, obviously, which team can surprise. But, you know, uh, the host and, obviously, the big uh, West African countries, uh, for me, those guys will always be favourites as far as winning the Afghan is concerned. And Wade, South Africa's world 400-meter champion sprinter Wade van Niekerk is in line for the Global Honours at the Laureus World Sports Awards. This was announced on Wednesday afternoon after he was listed among the nominees for Breakthrough of the Year. Fanny Gerk, who set a new world record of 43.03 seconds to win 400-meter gold at last year's Rio Olympic Games, is nominated alongside Ethiopian distance runner Almaz Ayana, German Formula 1 driver Nico Rosberg, the Fiji National Rugby Sevens team, the Iceland national football side, and Leicester City Football Club. 
These prestigious awards are held annually to celebrate outstanding sportsmen and women performers the previous calendar year. On to golf news, former U.S. Open winner Jim Furyk will captain the defending champion United States in the 2018 Ryder Cup against Europe at Le Golf National in Paris, says the PAGA of America. Furyk, nine times a player in the biennial competition, served as a vice-captain under Davis Love III at Hazeltine last October for the U.S. team that won golf's top team event for the first time since 2008. The 46-year-old American was called a natural leader and great communicator by PGA of America President Paul Levy during a press conference to announce the decision. Furyk, a 17-times winner on the PGA Tour, who last August recorded the lowest ever PGA Tour round when he shot a 12 under par 58, was widely considered the front-runner for the job. And the committee set a nice system in place. It's comforting for me as a captain. And we picked the right person. I remember sitting in the room and knowing in my heart that Davis Love was the best person to lead this team in 2016. And Davis, he's going to be a very tough act to follow. Um, he put a system in place, got the players behind it, and uh, definitely won't make my task easy, but uh, makes it more comforting knowing that there is a system in place and there is support. So as the first order uh, of my presidency. I want to make sure everyone knows that Davis Love III will be uh, my vice captain for 2018. That South Africa is now on 70 for the loss of two wickets at the ongoing third test at the Wanderers, the Bull Ring. At the crease is JP Dumini and Hashim Amla. That's your Sport News this hour. Well, that's how we wrap things up here on African Dialogue today. Um, remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And of course, you're more than welcome to interact with us via our various channels. From myself, Zikona Miso, and the rest of the team, it's cheers for now. We'll leave you with the sounds of Le Dambulu. This one is titled Not Yet Uhuru. Enjoy.